Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to the second installment of Cyberpunk today. Uh, our special guest today is Asif Awan, a very, very distinguished and a very special guest, a, a friend of mine, I would say. And uh, Hasib, how to describe you? You're a man of many talents, uh, but if I were to dare attempt to summarize how I know you, I know you as a uh, colleague of mine from our privacy business, also uh, an early cryptocurrency enthusiast, as well as a phone network hacker, the, for the lack of better word of it. But uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. How did you got to crypto? How did you go to phones? How did you got to be the way you are? Uh, so uh, thanks, Paul, for having me on the show. Uh, pleasure to be here and talking to you. Uh, so crypto and both crypto and both cell phone business, I didn't intend to do either of them. I had some connection to them uh, by crypto because it works with finance and my name literally meaning means accountant. So if really? you translate my name, yeah, my name means accountant, right? <laughs> and uh, so that's how I think I'm destined for crypto. Everything with the finance uh, uh, basically attracts me. Uh, I just got into crypto because I thought this was the fastest way to make money when I wasn't that rich. Fair enough. <laughs> that's, uh, and, that's honest. Uh, yeah, and that's when I got into crypto the next day, uh, I think the price of crypto dropped to half. I think it went from like $200 to like $100 or $80. And I said, this was so the that was early. So you were, you were in an early guy. That was what, 2012? Uh, around 2012, yeah. 2012, yeah. So, and I realized this is a big scam. I was thinking of dumping my coins to someone and I got dumped myself. So <laughs> that that wasn't a good feeling. And I think I bought like 100 Bitcoin for $6,000 or something. It's crazy money. Um, <laughs> Well, that was so, a lot of money back then because it was like fake internet magic money, right? I mean, nobody. Yeah, it, it was very difficult to buy crypto at that time too. People now realize that how easy it is to buy and just go on exchange and submit the money. Uh, pretty much there was an exchange called like Empty Gox, if you remember. Uh, yeah, there Mon was Gox, exchange yeah. Mon Gox. There was also exchange uh, BTCE, which got shut down. Uh, you literally have to go to a bank and send a money to an exchange that you don't know and you hopefully it will reach there and it will send you money. Uh, yeah, it was that, like it, you couldn't even send them the money. It was, it was Japan, right? So you had to send the money to some intermediary in like Malaysia, and then they would like credit it to Mongox. It was some crazy shit like that. Oh, yeah, every remember. time they used to change, right? Like they yeah. would say, okay, now you need to send to money to China, sometime to Hong Kong, sometime it was like, uh, shady, you know, Bermuda. Shady, and, shady. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think about taking your money and sending it to an account that you don't know in a hope that you'll get something because. Every day the exchanges were getting hacked. You know, yeah. there was there was no like literally like there were hardware wallets, but they were not like common as they are before. And it used to take like weeks and weeks to get your money processed. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and and if your bank found out that you sent the money to someone, they will shut down your account. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because crypto was considered super scammy back then. I mean, this is uh, like... well. I think I think it's still considered scammy, frankly. Like you know, if you take out Bitcoin and Ethereum, everything else pretty much looks scam. Um, <laughs> well, I, I well, to the average user, I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I was trying to explain to let's say an unnamed relative the, the whole concept, right? And so it's it's a lady in her 
let's say 70s, right? This all seems like really crazy. You know, like try to explain to grandma what, how would you explain to grandma what Bitcoin is, Hasib? How would 100%, you? 100%. Uh, it's very difficult. And also, if you consider like, uh, it's not like you can explain it like one setting. You have to sp spend time and you have to teach them how money works. You have to teach them why money exists in the first place. Why do we have currency in the first place? And then you go from there. Yeah. But if you tell, if you take someone who just learned about the money and tell them this is how it works, it's very difficult. So I'll give you an example about like today we are farming pasta and yams and hams and spaghettis today. Uh, you can basically, and it's very difficult for anyone to comprehend how DeFi works because the entire DeFi space looks like fun. Uh, it's like basically you're creating money out of nothing. So similarly, yeah. it works because uh, it also has to do with political autonomy too. Like we have been bought into the system that the government always produced the money, which is incorrect. The government does not produce. It just makes it easy for people to transact, but not a government mandate to pro to create money. Yeah, because but, not, not many Americans know. In the 19th century, the banks issued dollars. So there was a JP yeah. Morgan dollar. There was a Wells Fargo dollar. And when you go to the Wells Fargo Museum in San Francisco, you can see. And it yeah. said Wells Fargo dollar. So there were many different kinds of dollars. Uh, there was no Federal Reserve. And yet it worked. Uh, you know, so this is where people say, oh, it's not government money, Bitcoin. It can work. You know, like, well, you know, it can. Okay, so there was an early start, 2012. You know, I, I know a friend who, who uh, got me, well, he informed me about the existence of Bitcoin even earlier. He was uh, he was super early. He was on the mailing list. Yeah. And I went drinking with him in early 2009. So this was literally <coughs> just a few months after the Genesis block, right? And yeah, he told me, yeah. hey, did you hear? And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, you know, there's this fake magic internet money on online. I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's like, and I'm like, how much is it? He's like, oh, dude, it's like $1. I'm like, did you buy any? He's like, yeah, I bought like 10,000 of them. I'm like, really? You just spent 10,000 on buying some fake internet magic money in Japan on some fake exchange? It's like, are you insane? And there was nowhere to put them. There was like literally no wallets. There was no yeah. uh, treasure, nothing. Uh, so he just kept it on Mt. Gox and then sold it, whatever. I mean, it's, it's just like, it was the early days. This was, nobody even knew about this, let alone like call it a scam. Because, you know, as Mahatma Gandhi said, right? What was it first? They ignore you. They ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you and then you win. Right. Which is incredible, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think like a lot of people still say that. So I, I, I make a joke about this all the time. Like a lot of people will say that they want to work for Google when Google is new, but no one will take a chance today with a new company. Like if you say, <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to tweet out that, hey, can you work for me for the next five years or free? Uh, people say, no, I don't want to work for you. Right. Uh, because I want to get a cushy job at an IBM or a big company. Or how will I pay my bill and how will I do this? You know, I have a girlfriend and I have this and I have friends and this, this, this. Yeah. Well, and that's the point. This is, that's the point. Yeah. 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 That's what they did. Right. So, uh, it was so that's not exactly obvious. what we do. Like, it was not obvious with Google that it's going to yeah. be big. At the beginning, in 1999 or 2000, it was very much not obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. 
And uh, so this is how the concept of Bitcoin ATM came along. Like, you know, we were at a meetup and I wanted to buy Bitcoin. So I asked people who want to sell Bitcoin and no one in the group wanted to sell Bitcoin because they know that it will go up. So we realized that, oh my God, if I take the money, send it to Japan or Russia or like any other country, uh, it will take maybe like two weeks and I may have missed the pump, right? Because Bitcoin yeah. was increasing. So, so, so uh, explain, so, so this is a general just general audience podcast, right? So, I mean, these are like very crypto terms, right? So like pump and dump is just like this constant thing. There's like market manipulators essentially, right? Who are pumping up the market correct so they will just say pump, hey right so this yeah, like how it, it works so pump is basically 10 people will say let's see you know powell i have ten thousand dollars you have ten thousand dollars and third person have ten thousand dollars everyone will have let's pull a hundred thousand dollars and let's go into a token or an asset that no one is buying right now and you will do like a very good pr around it and once you have the pr uh you just um uh say okay you know this company is doing well and then everyone start talking about it and you so you buy all of them over a period of time so no one discovered that okay you know yeah you have them and then you start generating uh set up a story for that and when the story is there you just see the token is start to rise like five percent ten percent ten percent ten percent per day and then someone will just buy into the product and you start selling and people start buying into that and yeah. till you have sold all of your back, so you're out of it, and you made like two x or three x of your money. Uh, because the Bitcoin money was so scale, like you know, there was not a like lot of volume on. If you would buy like literally 10, 20 Bitcoin, it will move the price a bit, not a lot, but maybe like ten, twenty dollars. So if someone bought like a hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, the price will change. Um, so so in, you know, in stocks and shares, this is called market manipulation. It's super illegal. You know, so, so if, uh, if you yeah, do yeah. this in on the market, you, you'll get busted and go to jail. It, it just shows how early, like, you know, Bitcoin is a commodity, right? It's And funnily enough, in commodities, you can do this. Uh, yeah. So so it depends. Like, you know, it still happens. Like, you know, you can still do it. But obviously, you can keep it kosher and you can, you cannot do, like, stuff with it. Uh, but certainly, there are a lot of time when you see the stock just goes up, right? So that just gets pumped. Even in the traditional yeah. market, it happens. Uh, but there are a lot of loose that people just don't follow. But so... So I didn't want to miss the pump uh, because I believe the Bitcoin is going up. And I thought, okay, you know, let me ride the wave and make up my loss. And there was no one who wanted to sell. And there was also a website called Local Bitcoin where you, it's like, think about like Craigslist for paying. And what happened, you literally super go shady. there. Super shady. Yeah, yeah, super shady. So you say that, hey, I want to buy like a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. A guy will just show up in a hoodie, uh, meet you in a, in a cafe. You basically give him a thousand dollars and he will give you a piece of paper and you believe that piece of paper have Bitcoin on it. Unbelievable. Right? Just unbelievable. And it's kind of crazy, man. Like, you know, it's kind of, kind of, kind of stupid how it used to happen. And so I didn't want to do that because like it was kind of very risky uh, to meet a person at a random place with so much cash. So... Uh, so I said, you know, there was like, so I think around that time, the concept of Bitcoin ATM was popping up that we should have a Bitcoin ATM. So I met my co-founder at the meetup and we went for a dinner that night uh, and we said, let's start a company and we'll make a Bitcoin ATM. And luckily we had all the talent to do it. One of the guy knew how to run exchanges. Uh, other second guy knew how to run, a, uh, build a kiosk like he was in kiosk. And third guy, I'm integrated. And I said, whatever you buy, I'll, I'll sell it. So that's, so awesome. that's what we, how did that go? Uh, pretty good. Uh, 2013, 2013. 
So that's early. That's super early. Yeah, yeah. This so I called around. The... Yeah. Go ahead. So, so my goal was to find the first uh, customer. So I went on internet and I found uh, a person, and I called him up and he says, "I think we spoke at like 11 p.m. at night," and I said, "Okay, you know, let's uh, uh, let's uh, talk about like you know." uh you know let's talk about buying a bitcoin atm he says yeah i'm a bitcoin broker and i want to i'm starting a uh a, a center called bitcoin decentral so like not a central like decentral in toronto and i want to buy a first i want to buy the first bitcoin atm so i said why don't you come over i think it was around like christmas time uh number december so he came over we spent time we gave him demo he said okay i'll buy it install it so we said let's do it and when i went to toronto he introduced me to another person and he said okay you know we are working on a new project um and that is bitcoin 2.0 i said okay man like you know we haven't got into bitcoin 1 uh, let's talk about bitcoin 2.0 and there was like kind of like master coin uh you know side chain and there were a lot of concepts happening feather coin name coin um so anyway so he introduced me to about the concept and i said what will it call so they said okay we'll call it ethereum Yeah. <laughs> so, so the guy who introduced me was Vitalik, right? And unbelievable. And the first customer was Anthony Diorio. So he says so he I think he was the guy who funded the Ethereum for the first time. So he said, "Okay, you know, next month we are meeting up in Miami, so why don't you stay with us in I'm we're calling it Ethereum house." So I met there and I was pretty much I think the roommate with uh uh Charles who made Cardano, uh Vitalik uh and consensus guy i forgot joseph from consensus vilad uh you know amir taki amir not amir amir taki, amir taki. Not, uh, no i think yeah. it wasn't amir taki it was some other guy it was second guy um and we all met up we said okay let's stay in a house right so we all stayed in one house and we were planning about ethereum and we started and they start planning about ethereum and i said okay man that looks cool i think the price was 15 cents on presale so i got lucky there and uh, but after that uh, uh after that you know like i remember when uh the bitcoin uh so i i took my bitcoin i used to take my bitcoin atm to everywhere and i met alexis ohanian who's the founder of reddit and he said this is pretty cool why don't you apply to y combinator i said okay let's do it so my co-founder uh he did the application uh we went in and we got in Now this all you brought the box up. with you. you. You brought the box with you to the Y Combinator interview. No, you put the box and you said no, no, not to the a, interview. This, uh, this, we this took is the a Bitcoin ATM. What? Yeah, we just we just took the machine. Uh, we just took the picture there, but we showed the video of how it works and everything. Uh, but we got into Y Combinator, and the guy who interviewed, uh, one guy named was Gary Tan. Uh, other is Justin Can. Yeah. So Justin is the co-founder of Justin TV, and he start, and around that time he sold the company called Twitch. Yes. So he was our group partner, and Gary Tan initialized capital. He was the I think the first investor in Coinbase, and nice. so so basically we just got lucky. And within my badge, we met other companies. One company was Cora. Uh, they went to the same class, uh, and then there's a guy uh, who mentioned I'm building uh, IPFS, uh, which is called Filecoin now. and the second yeah. guys were building one name which is called blockstack now and so i was just talking about like how interesting and there was another yeah, friend yeah. who was, filecoin is uh, an interesting one 
One of our investors yeah. is a big investor in them. Yeah, so Filecoin, and then I met with another friend, and he said, okay, you know, uh, we so, are so, building so Stellar there. what IPFS is. It's like like 30 different names of different, you know, yeah, yeah. shit coins. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember it's not a crypto, but think about it. Remember, uh, it's not just crypto audience, right? So what yeah, do yeah. these things mean, right? Why is this important? For example, Filecoin, what is that? What is IPFS? Uh, I think so. Think about Dropbox or uh, Google Drive but decentralized so rather than one person owning your data it's it's uh, spread across the world why is it important because censorship rules like now we live in a very hostile environment where one country can ban another country or uh, there should be censorship so imagine you live in a country where the government is authoritarian and they don't allow specific content you can basically serve your save your content anywhere in the world without being seized and can access it anywhere in the world as long as you know mm -hmm. the keys so i yeah. think that's pretty powerful um and similarly like you know uh blocks uh blockstein who are trying to build their own who are trying to build their own internet but uh the reason to say this like this is pretty early so we said okay let's do a launch in san francisco so i installed the first bitcoin atm in san francisco so i Where? contacted uh it was a workshop cafe workshop cafe uh in mont eastern city financial district um, and Montgomery Street, and I am. I was able to convince the founder who, uh, whose whose company got public last last month, I believe. Uh, very interesting guy, Rich, and he said, "Okay, let's let's do it. It's pretty interesting." So we did a setup. So I still have the badge of his launching the first Bitcoin ATM in San Francisco. Um, and after that, man, everything is history. Frankly, we got featured in TechCrunch. We raised money from Pantera Capital at that time, Blockchain Capital, because no other venture fund wanted to talk to them. I remember a venture fund, very famous venture fund, which is doing a lot of investment right now. And they said, we don't want to talk to crypto companies. Uh -huh. you know, we'll put your call because you're a YC company. But apart from that, you know, I think, uh, I remember the words he said, you know, I don't know if there's a party happening there. Like, you know, we are happy to talk to you. We are happy to do other stuff. But uh, I don't think so there's any party over there. So long story short, uh, got into crypto, ran the company. Uh, we grew to 18 countries within a few months. Uh, company was just exploding. And then uh, we realized that, you know, okay, you know, it may be better to leave off the company to one founder. So all of the counter left and we start, went our own way around 2015 and pretty much chill for next three years uh, till I got SimSarp one day. And then I went through all the pain. So what's him swapping? Okay, is? so 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 let's yeah, let's let's unpack that, right? So the company, the the coin, the cash, the the coin, uh, the, ATM, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin ATM. ATM continues going. Is it still going? Is it still? Around? Yeah, it's still going. Yeah, yeah, still okay, going. Okay, cool. So the company keeps growing. You guys keep installing these machines around the world, and then uh, in 2018, so that's three years into the company, something bad happens to you. So describe that. Uh, so after that, no, I left the company. So I was just on my own, uh, just enjoying my life and everything. Because uh, frankly, crypto did well for us. So we didn't have to work. And uh, my phone says no service one day. So, and I realized, okay, I got SIM swapped uh, within a few minutes. I, and I got an email that, sorry to let you go. I said, what the hell is this? What do you mean let you go? Like, dude, I'm your customer. And then I, within a few minutes, okay, I realized. So I had to get my account back. So for the audience who don't know SimSwap, uh, think about someone just taking or stealing your cell phone number without your permission. So you are maybe sitting in New York and someone in San Francisco decide to SimSwap, they will go to an AT&T store or any store and pretend to be you 
and boom, they have your SIM card. So and why is this important? With, why is uh, this because because this is the problem. Once you have the telephone number, they can anyone who called you call you will all the calls will go through them, and they can make calls on your behalf too. So they can call in your bank, pretend to be you, and take out all the money. Uh, they can go on Gmail, uh, do a password reset, and take your stuff. And then I realized that um, this is one issue that I realized. the The second issue that we have is that uh, so the second issue that we ha- had was very 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 crazy that actually people are bribed so you can actually pay someone to do it for you so you can pay someone like 200 dollars and they will say okay i'll sim up this person so power might be sitting in a in a couch and someone may just take his number they may go into a gmail do a password reset because everything is linked to telephone numbers you can through telephone number you can go into your email account your personal account your dropbox your bank account uh your hospital record everything we have more identity linked to your telephone number than social security number right now like how wow. many places your telephone number is and so let's within that sink in right most most people that that's an important point right like most consider social the most sensitive important piece of information but it's hardly ever used phone yeah. is what's everything linked to Yeah. Correct. How many like imagine Paul like if I say uh, if I meet you in a coffee shop and I say hey Paul can I have your social security number you say hey stuff what the hell is this Fuck you. Yeah, I'll say fuck yeah. you. But but if I say hey can I have your social th- I have a telephone number you the only thing you will think about hey would he call me to bug me that's the only thing. Right? But apart from that you may be comfortable giving your telephone number like literally literally walk on the street and ask for 10 people telephone number and they'll give it to you. Right? Uh if you have a legitimate reason, right? And uh but if you ask someone for social security so people are very very careless when it comes to social security telephone number right yeah. so so and the worst part is you give the telephone number to your bank too it's your identity and you're giving away your identity to everyone and it's so simple that to sim swap like you know take over your telephone number and and so i was a victim and then i started researching i was able to get my number back luckily i didn't lose any money because i was already prepared for something like that but it start happening so it happened to me four times four and times and i was like kind of, four times and i was so paranoid like you know it basically took away my life as in uh what should i be doing and uh like i was so paranoid about everything because i was so scared that something will happen to me and they were just doing it for fun and for them i was just like a, a you know like a toy like a video game clear that they will just sim swap whenever they want and i had called my company i did all the security precautions but it was still happening so and what frankly, are the, you know what are the security precautions because you know you are a target right you are a known crypto guy so super high right. target but you know ordinary people they're like nah it can never happen to me but still what should they do what should ordinary people do to attempt to prevent sim swapping in theory so frankly So in theory what happened is you call your cell phone company and you say that hey uh never do a sim swap on me right I will always show up at the store and this will be my identity I'm a high risk target the problem with that is they will say yes it's good to go but the problem with that is that it's very 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 difficult uh the how the system are programmed it's not any person in a company can do it like think about wow. it any person in the company can do it which mean that if you are working with like any major company they would have maybe 100,000 employees so you have to find one employee and that employee could be someone working at a store 
And what he will say is that Powell showed up to my store and he says, I lost my phone and I gave him the new SIM card. Right? Uh, that may be intentional or unintentionally. Intentional as in he got bribed. Unintentional is that someone actually tricked him into something. So, so this is what we do. And now what we have started to do, and this attack started to happen more and more and more. So I started to realize I'm not the one. It actually happens every day. Even during our call, maybe five to six people became victim of it. And they don't talk. The only thing is uh, I spoke up. I could not speak at that time because I was kind of ashamed. And I was, think about you being a leader or running a company or anyone in a prominent position. Uh, people, and if you say about like, I got hacked, it's kind of showing a weakness, you know, because you are basically yeah. custodian of a trust. So it was very, very painful for me. And and the hackers, when they hack you, they actually give you some threats that if you go to public or if you go to something, they will do worse because they have your record. In my case, they didn't have any record, but still I was kind of afraid to do that. And I frankly started traveling at that time. I said, man, like, I don't want to live here. So I start traveling. And... Um, and I realized that, okay, only reason to prevent is by being learning about how they do it. So I had luckily at times, so I spent time on understanding how the industry works. I spent time on the industry, um, network with the people who do it. And uh, that's about it. So well, that's, not a, that's one hell of a story. So like you talk to the phone guys and uh, because the problem from their perspective is like how many people port out number a day? Tens of thousands, right? Tens of thousands, yeah. Every day, right? So, so every day, every day from every carrier. And it's very difficult for them to say, hey, we have to go through a specific check. Because people say, hey, I got a new phone plan and someone is offering me a new iPhone. I want to transfer the number right now. And you yeah. can't stop them. And by law, you cannot stop them. So I said, okay, you know, and people say, hey, I got a $10 cheaper offer. I just want to switch my phone. Because right. companies are targeting everyone. So we said, okay, you know, I said, this is not possible. Um, and uh, so they cannot do it. Like, frankly, they may try to attempt it. They have tried to do, but the scale that are operating, it's like asking McDonald's to serve you a special, uh, like a steak, right? Uh, or only to one guy in 20,000. What, what, you know, everyone gets the normal hamburger and one yeah. guy somewhere in America in any McDonald's will ask for a special steak. And Correct. you have to stack all the McDonald's for that one guy who might somewhere yeah. ask for the Correct. steak. Yeah, it's and the McDonald's, will not, it's not going to work, right? You know, it, they'll forget it one time because technically McDonald's should. So so all the companies operate like McDonald's. They have a specific menu. Uh, they're only focused on cheaping cheap plans. Like technically people say, hey, uh, can I get a cheaper plan? Uh, can I get a family plan and everything? And I said, okay, man, this is not fun. There must be someone like me who would be willing to pay money for a premium plan. And then I realized the reason why it gets sold so on Bitcoin ATM, this is very crazy. So we have to do KYC for the customers who don't know. We have to do know your, know your customers. That's a rule for any financial transaction in the U.S. You know what we asked for? Just a telephone number. Because as soon as the people put telephone number, we were able to get all the data. Through telephone number, you can find someone's address, their date of birth, their social security number, their net worth, even their credit score. Just by telephone phone number. number. From a phone number, yeah. That's crazy. Can, can right. you just repeat that? Yeah. Address, name, date of birth, date of birth, date of a credit score, credit score, and income, a social security number from your phone, phone number, from number. That's crazy. 
Because if you look at your terms of condition on your cell phone company that you have right now, it will say that we share the data. So they sell the data. There are companies who are built, this is all their business. So what they do is there'll be a startup and their business will be to buy your information from your carrier. That's all they do. They don't do anything else. They will only buy this data and sell it to companies. So criminals will buy yeah. this data and they will run it through algorithm and see who the more vulnerable and attack them. And I realized that is there a need for companies to, we talk about privacy all the time, right? Like, you know, Paul, we talk about like privacy is good, when it, but when it comes to like digital privacy, it's very difficult for people to visualize it because I'll think about it. You may get like blinders for your uh, curtains for your house, house because you want privacy. But when it comes to digital, it's very difficult for people to understand how privacy works. Yeah. You know, so you how may do you share... put blinders on for your digital life. So what we did was, so this is how I started the company, right? I said, okay, I will start a company which will basically not sell your information, protect your information, and will not have a, a hamburger for everyone. We will just have one plan. But our simple plan is everything unlimited and everything private. That's all. Nothing else. You know, and there's no uh, options. It's like what? No, option. 99 bucks. 90, 99 bucks. Same. Same thing. You know, this is what we offer. This is what we do. Uh, we don't negotiate. We don't have any any kind of a crazy discount pricing. We don't do anything else. That's all we do. The only thing, two things that we pr promise is the privacy. We will never sell your data. We actually encrypt all the information. Um, and we will never ever, uh, you know, uh, allow you to be hacked. Only two things. We don't promise you anything else. Uh, and we also ask for like, you know, we'll reduce the spam calls, but because we don't share your data, so you get less spam calls. So I don't know about your experience, but like, you know, people around network generally do not get a lot of spam calls. Like there are once one, one off, but generally there are no spam calls. So, so how, how do you, how does one start a phone company? What's the process? Uh, Cause I, I don't so, think you were setting up your own antennas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very almost impossible to buy antennas. Like, you know, there are, but there are only three companies right now in the U S which have their own antennas. Other companies are built on top, uh, which is a very good regulation that they allow you to do that. But technically you can start your own company within in America uh, by buying leads from this company. So it's called MVNOs, mobile virtual network operators. And what we do, we go to these big carriers, depending on which carrier we want to go with. Um, you just say, Hey, I'll buy a plan. You buy a plan. Uh, you buy minutes in bulk, you buy data in bulk and you repackage and you sell it. Uh, generally it's brilliant. People... It's, it's like a wholesaler. You're essentially a wholesaler. Yeah. Yeah. So you buy it and you resell and you have your own niche market. So generally people go for cheaper plans. Uh, like there are companies which you can, will give you a free SIM card and they'll say, okay, you know, it's free SIM card, free data, free texting, but we'll send you one ad per hour or something. You know, yeah, there's one on the T-Mobile network. What are they called? Uh, Mint or something? Yeah, yeah, Mint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is what I never understood. What's in it for T-Mobile? Why would I sell this to Mint? Because their overhead is pretty high, right? Like think about why Amazon is not building their own Dropbox. Why Amazon leads their systems, right? So I think everyone is in the same different business. Like it's like why the person who has the land does not build the houses. You know, uh, it's okay. a different niche, right? Uh, you have a higher tier and you have lower tier, like T-Mobile have a different uh, pricing plans that may not accommodate. So I'll give you a simple example. Uh, T-Mobile may not be able to reach Latino market, you know, 
and our specific immigrant population. So a small company will do. So I'll give you exa another example. Like in, in Canada, sorry, in California, we have Lifeline, which is a pricing plan for someone who's have a EBT, which is the benefits for government or something yeah. social assistance. So the plan yeah. is, so it's very difficult for T-Mobile to have those customers inside their store, right? Because some of them may be homeless or some of them may not be. So they say, okay, you know, we don't want to deal with those customers, but as a law, they have to deal with those. You know, so they say, okay, why don't you take on those customers and you and just take the minutes from us? Understood. Other specific segment markets. So there's basically all kinds of people and with all kinds of needs and their specific niche. What do you call them? Mobile virtual network operators that yeah. cater to those niches. So what is your Correct. niche? So our niche is like, you know, we focus on security and privacy. That's all. Like if someone have a niche of, uh, I think one company, Metro PCS, they focus on seniors. So they will not give you iPhone. They will give you phones which have bigger LCDs, very easy to read, you know? So everyone I've has their own that, niche. Yeah, it just has the little big numbers and the big yeah, buttons. Yeah. Cause if you're old yeah. and can't see shit, you, you're gonna be able to like. Correct. So everyone has this. So our niche is pretty much security and privacy. <laughs> I frankly built it for myself. Like I didn't intend to sell it. I built it for myself. I sent a WhatsApp message and Telegram message of someone who's interested in buying our product. And then people said, yeah, I want to try it. And frankly, before I knew, uh, we had dozens of customers. And I said, okay, man, this thing has got serious. So then I started seriously considering the company. And now we are doing very well um, in the business. You know, we talk about all the time, like, you know, uh, and we kept the same thing. Because it's an expensive plan, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's you run on uh, the Verizon network, right? Well, by law, we can't take the name, but uh, you got it, right? <laughs> okay, so you don't say it. Okay, that's fine. You you run on some network. That we, run on the, um, we run on the America's number one network. Okay, wonderful. You run on America's number one network. Wonderful, right? Uh, so, and it's, you know, you run a top tier plan. So it... it to a specific demographic, right? It's 99 bucks, everything included, not no no special this. No, no. So that's fantastic, right? So how do you uh how do you prevent sim swapping? So what we did was because I'm a victim myself and I understand this space very well. So what we did was like because we have kept it so simple, uh we don't get a lot of requests of swapping because our customers generally do not churn. Uh, when we take on the customer, we believe that, uh, you know, we, we, we employ, uh, number one, I said, our customers are not someone who will just leave for pricing. They will say, right. Hey, I'm getting like Powell will not maybe go to, Hey, I'm getting a $5 cheaper. Either give me a new iPhone or I'll just leave. Right. Yeah. So not, not that, not that kind of market segment. Yeah. So that allows us to serve them better because we don't have to worry about churning, but if someone has to leave we had one or two incidents where people have to leave abroad or uh, so what we did was we actually follow almost the same process of when you're selling a house or selling a, doing a bank transaction at a very heavy amount. So did you drive I'll to give, the user's home and shake hands uh, with them and said, do you really want to port this? We actually do something more crazy. So we have, they have to send a, a lawyer letter or notarized letter. So they have to take notarized an affidavit. That, letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it's funny when they get a letter. I say, man, the thing is, uh, and then we have 15 days uh, cool off period when all the things are confirmed. So wow. we basically go and we send them a like a physical mail. Do you 
accept that we are transferring your number. They get a call. They, they get a message. Again. Oh my god! Notarize it. They have to send it because we don't know if they are kidnapped, right? What if they are kidnapped? What if their voice has been like manipulated? What if they are uh, under influence, right? What if they are special? You deal with a very special uh, market segment, right? Correct. So we don't know, right? Frankly, I don't know. Like uh, the thing is, this is all we do: security and privacy. And if we fail at either of those, then you know we have. So we are happy to take extra precautions. Uh, we are. We don't apologize for extra things, but we tell our customers, hey, because we don't know if someone is holding a gun on your head and he's he's making you f- do a phone call. Right, yeah, I don't know yet, so we don't know. So why don't we take full precaution and make sure that you know uh, it is if if it's a cost issue, uh, you know we are happy to pay for that cost. If you're if you take fifteen fifteen days extra, so we are happy to pay for the fifteen days extra. But I guess no one ever asked, <laughs> you know. I know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, no, we had one or two incidents where a person said, "Hey, I'm leaving U.S. forever," you know. So we send him all the paperwork. He did it. Uh, one person says, "I want to change my number." So we said, "Okay, you know, let me do the paperwork." And he was laughing at it, like, "You know, you're asking me to go to notarized." I said, "Yeah, we have to do notarization because our insurance, because we have an insurance policy by Lords of London. So every, so if something goes wrong, uh, I have to pay five million dollars from my own, like from insurance company, which technically comes from our own pocket. So we have to be very careful about what we do. So it's better to be safe than sorry." So and then we basically go through eleven types of authentication processes to make sure this person is not under any influence because uh, it's quite possible that someone is under influence right now, like someone is just giving him drugs and asking him to make a call or something. So we make sure that so the entire process almost takes like two to three weeks for a port out to happen, and uh, uh, and if someone can go pipe bypass that. Uh, then person have bigger issues. This means someone is already in your email. Someone have access to your telephone number. Someone access to your credit card number to your deal license to your house uh, for 15 days, man, and can take you to <laughs> and, and can take you to a lawyer and you write affidavit in front of him. So you are in a lot yeah, more then, trouble than you are in a whole lot more trouble. Yeah, than 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 a phone. Then censor censoring. Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating. This is this is you know we call this show cyberpunk, right? So this is pretty cyberpunk, right? I mean, we're we're trying to protect electronic infrastructure here, as you say, by the most old-fashioned methods, right? Which is slowing down, physical interception, paperwork, lawyers, notaries, old school, right? It's kind of old school, right? Yeah, yeah, because it it's like it's not like something has to happen once, right? Like you know, it's like something will happen probably with it one time in their life. And frankly, a lot of people when they look at security, uh, they just say, "Hey, man, I don't want to do it because I'm sure no one, com- no other company will care about me as much as you guys are doing, right?" Uh, yeah. Because we frankly do care, like you know, uh, as in uh, that's why we are expensive, and uh, we just say that, man, don't bother us with the price and let us do the privacy and security. We promise that we'll never sell or monitor your data. Uh, that's our thing, and we will never. We'll make sure that you're always protected. So we guarantee that. This is all we do. Uh, you know, we don't promise that we'll give you the cheapest iPhone. We don't promise that we'll give you the cheapest plan. We don't promise that we'll give you other. So that's all, and that basically uh, helps us in filtering out a lot of people. So not everyone signs up. Uh, people say, "Hey, I'm. I want to be stay on a family plan." It's okay, you know, you want that, but it's better to just filter our people in the beginning and do really well for the people who care about you. Right, 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 
I mean, do, do what you do well and uh, the word will spread. And it seems the word is spreading. So that, that's fantastic. I, I, I'm a customer too. It's been great. Uh, it, it feels good that that number stays with me, you know, and, and unless the end of the world happens, like hopefully that number will stay with me. Uh, yeah, we don't tell our customers uh, either. Like in your case, like I never mentioned it to someone that you're a customer because unless you tell yourself, because this is our business, we are in privacy and security, so we don't tell no, our no, customers. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah, no, no, of course, of course. Yeah, but but I mean, you know, I, I it's uh, it's one of my many numbers. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like, so yeah, yeah. for the listeners out there who, who wanna sim swap me, you know, go ahead, go right ahead because I don't use phone based SMS two factor authentication and like yeah. you're not gonna get anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't have anything. So, but uh, uh, so you know when 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 we talked and um, we talked about a phone network, there's a lot of things about the phone network that people don't like appreciate just how programmable. It is right because people think it's like, oh well, you know, there's these towers, and then I have my phone, and then you have to put that little piece of plastic in it. But it's it's not that analog anymore, right? Because uh, I did an experiment. You can have electronic SIM cards now. You don't need yeah, a SIM yeah. card. Yeah, yeah. Describe yeah. how that works. So electronic SIM card is pretty much like a physical SIM card. It's very good. Uh, like, why should we have a piece of uh, chip? Because uh, technically programmable, so why not have a chip that basically you don't have to program and you can, uh, which can be programmed on the go. So a lot of new phones are coming with dual SIMs. Uh, eventually in the future, maybe five years down the road, it will be only eSIM, where your phone will support like, rather than you putting a SIM card in, you scan a QR code and boom, you have a SIM card. Why is it important? Like think about you, you, you land in a Bangkok. And you want to have a local SIM. So rather than going to a store and buying it, you may just pay online uh, and just scan a QR code and boom, you have a SIM card. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I tried it. I tried it on an unnamed provider. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, it was quite uh, it was quite an experience to just scan yeah. some barcode on a, on a website. Yeah. And then a couple yeah. minutes later, your phone beeped and you had signal. Um, but that's good and bad at the same time because if it's just software, if the SIM card is just a software, that means it can be stolen, it can be reprogrammed, oh, 100%, it can be hacked, yeah. it can be yep. you know, like malware. Like, are we entering some kind of like post uh, total cyberpunk present, not even the future present, where is this kind of like weird cybernetic organism where our, this, the cell phone network is merged has merged with the internet? And has physically merged with our devices that are attached to us. So how long yeah. is it going to be before we put like software SIM cards into ourselves, into our bodies? Uh, I don't know, man. You know, we are uh, we are talking about this for maybe like years now. So people are saying, hey, you know, like Bill Gates is putting a SIM card in. Uh, I think so. Think from this point of view, we have Apple watches, and we have cell phone. Um, I never leave a house without my cell phone. Do you? No, no. Uh, you go to your washroom, you take a cell phone, you are taking a shower, you turn on music and you go to bedroom and you take your cell phone. So why do you need to put a chip card in your body when you have a chip card with you all the time? I know, I know, I know. Yeah. 
So, but uh, so, you know, the argument I heard is that you know you have a low bandwidth with a phone because right? you're typing, so it's about 100 baht a minute maybe. If you're a faster typer, maybe it's slightly higher, right? So I think that's the Neuralink idea, the the idea uh, from uh, Elon Musk, how he's creating the basically drill a one-inch hole, penny-sized hole in your head and just put electrodes directly into your brain to increase the bandwidth, which I still find kind of scary. But it's uh, that kind of scary future is already here. Yeah, I think it will happen. Yeah, I think frankly it may happen. So uh, what I want to do is that I personally believe that uh, the future that you're talking about will happen pretty. It may like I know you can put RFID chips in your house and your your hand, but uh, it it, like I boring. That that's just like passive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circuit. Yeah. So I think this will happen, but frankly, like we have been talking about a lot of like revolutionary technology for some time now. Like think about like driverless cars, you know, think about like uh, genome, like, yeah, it may come, but you know, the problem with them is also regulation. And frankly, there are times where uh, it basically uh, like generic, right? Like, you know, we were able to clone people and uh, we stopped it because of multiple reasons. So this may happen. I'm not saying this, but the problem with this is uh, there's so much risk right now that people may not adopt it like google glasses like you know pretty good concept but you know it didn't show up anywhere so i think this is the same with these things uh too uh ambitious product no nothing wrong with it so let's see we'll see but i think with other things like you know if your watch is connected you know you get a lot of like you know about when to wake up and to sleep uh you know you get about your body temperature and it's not i don't know about body temperature but you can pretty much check your heartbeat so you can do a lot of stuff which actually makes you a better person. I don't use digital watches right now. I'm pretty old school guy. I wear a regular watch, but maybe I may change to to like a, these watches too. That's awesome. Well, Hasib, look, this 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 has been, as, as always is, every time I talk to you, it's just a fascinating conversation. You know, you learn a lot about things yep. I never knew I even existed or aspects yep. of particular systems that I didn't appreciate quite existed. So to close, uh, what would be your predictions in terms of like security and privacy for the next few years? And who do you think we should have on the show next? Um, I think I may have some recommendations for you. That's pretty good. I'll send you some recommendations. Um, and But I think Thanks. personally, uh, I believe that there are um, cyber attacks will go up and up, right? People will have much understanding of how they work. Like right now, an average, uh, I think every second, three Americans become victim every second. So I think yeah. they will go up uh, and people will have more digital problem and they will be able to visualize what's at risk rather than right now. Uh, like I'll give you a simple example. Uh, you know that if you upload a picture, someone can find out where exactly the picture was taken just by looking at a picture. So every picture has an attribute. So think about like you are a, you are a person who, uh, want to be private but you uploaded a picture that i'm chilling on a beach well don't and... upload pictures of chilling on a beach if but any, anything private, yeah don't upload I'm any just saying. pictures at all yeah <laughs> but you say hey don't get here so you can download the picture and the picture will have a location of that place and not just like city like it's not like it's in front it will take you the coordinates of where exactly it was taken within yeah. a difference of like two meters yeah yeah the exif metadata is pretty accurate but I, I think yeah. there's even now, like, even if you strip the EXIF metadata from images, just doing image recognition, you can recognize where you are. 
Yeah, yeah. But how many people do that? Yeah, how many people do take out? Not a lot of people take out. Yeah, I know. I tell everyone, delete your Facebook. I've done it uh, about uh, three years ago. It was one of the best things I've ever done. Not actually just not, not use it or disable it. No, actually delete go go the step delete that stuff uh stop train the future ai oppressor that will know you know how you look how you dress who your relatives and friends are where you live what you're doing what you have been doing and what you will be doing just just cut that out uh i think it's yeah just just that so wonderful look uh let's follow up at some point in, in a couple sure. months and uh, years uh, as the technology changes, as life changes. Um, our distinguished guest today has been Hasib Awan. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, we very much look forward. Okay. 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 Thank you, man. I'll... Thank you. Bye-bye.